Man, I have to admit it. I am addicted to The Offer, the new series on Paramount Plus about the making of The Godfather. I'm a sucker for stories about the business side of Hollywood. The Kid Stays in the Picture is one of my very favorite documentaries. So when I heard that they were making a show about Robert Evans and Albert Ruddy, it was an offer I could not refuse. The series does a great job capturing a particular moment in time for Paramount Pictures. The Fame Studio has produced many of our favorite films, and this weekend, it releases the sequel to one of the most acclaimed and culturally significant films from the 1980s. Released in 1986, Top Gun flew onto the scene, swept the nation, and became the highest-grossing film of the year. (laughs) You can say it buzzed the tower and left a lasting impression. 36 years later, on the eve of the highly anticipated release of Top Gun Maverick, which I must say is getting fantastic reviews, we decided to revisit the film that made Tom Cruise a massive movie star and break down why it captured the attention of an entire country. Today's wingmen are two familiar voices on this podcast. What can I say? They practically begged me to have them back. And one industry colleague I've been wanting on the show for quite some time. Joining me are Top Gun fanboy, Nick Malone, my movie-loving brother, Jim Kamlick, and entertainment marketer, Scott Safon. And this is Back by Popular Demand. Guys, welcome to the show. Um, Nick, I, I don't even know how we're going to get through this because you're already like making me laugh. What are you What are you wearing? Oh, it's uh, just my uh, Pete Mitchell uh, flight suit uh, that I just happen to have in the, uh, the old closet. I kick Is that around hand around sewn? I put it together, uh, me, and the, me and the kids. We, uh, we sewed it together over the weekend, you know, just because, just for fun. Amazon.com. How much did that set you back? Thirty nine ninety nine. So, are you uh, are you going to wear that to? I'm assuming you're going to wear that to the Friday night screening of Top Gun. We are indeed. Friday night screening. Me and about nine of the neighborhood dads are going to go all in flight suits, uh, rocking it, and we're going to go straight into that AMC movie theater and take it over, and it's going to be amazing. Hey, Nick, you want a little Jim Campbell trivia? You know what the last movie is that I dressed up for? Ooh. Ooh. I'll go ahead and tell Harry you Potter, Indiana Harry Jones Potter. and the Crystal Skull. Oh, wow! You you haven't wait you haven't dressed up since since then. Well, any- I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about wearing a Captain America shirt. I'm talking about going in a costume. Going in costume. So having a fedora and a leather jacket. That's Incredible. getting that's arriving dressed up. Wait, let me let me ask you something, and we're and then we'll get started. Indiana <laughs> Jones and the and the Crystal Skull. What is that? Is that a film? Well, Has a lot of people heard of it. I've never heard of this. <laughs> I thought that didn't exist. Yeah, well, in some circles it does, unfortunately. I, I can't believe you just mentioned that film in this episode. Unbelievable. We're doing um, that podcast next. Can we just hang up and forget about it? We should, we should start over. All right, so listen, before, before we – are you are you guys ready to buzz the tower, by the way? Is everybody oh, ready? Let's yes. All right. Um, before we uh, get into some introductions, because uh, we have a distinguished guest with us tonight, and I, I want to give him a few minutes, but um, I am going to start off with a confession. Okay, this is non-Top Gun related. Um, I was in New York last week. I was just telling Scott right before we we jumped on that um, I, I attended the uh, the upfront presentations in New York last week, which was a lot of fun. Um, it was good to be back in New York. You know, for those that don't know, I lived in New York for I'm from New York. 
and lived in New York for a really long time later in my career and over 10 years um, working in the, in the industry there. Um, this is what I'll say. I, I, I fear that Los Angeles has taken a big bite out of the New York apple for me. And, uh, and what I mean by that is being there last week was great. I still have my pace. I still have my legs. I can still walk fast like the best of them. But as I walked from my hotel to the, uh, the Warner Discovery upfront, which was at Madison Square Garden, I walked the, the 20-something blocks on uh, Wednesday morning. And I realized halfway through the walk that I have outgrown the pace of New York City. Wow. And I feel feel kind of bad saying that. Scott's nodding. I think he might understand. You live in Atlanta now, so you get it. But like, yeah, I met, lived in New York for many years. But I I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yep. And I again, like, it pains me to say it. I'll always love it. But yeah. when I flew back to L.A. on Friday, when I got back to my place in my neighborhood, and I I was out walking the dogs for a couple of minutes, I the, the palm trees were swaying, and there was a nice cool breeze, and it made me realize, man, I really like being back in Los Angeles. And I never, never in a million years thought I would ever say that, but You're I'm saying well it now. now. Okay. Right. How do you guys feel about that? Am I a sellout? I would never admit to that if it was me. Really? I'd go to my grave with that knowledge. I wouldn't say that on a, on a public podcast for the general public to listen to. I have two grown daughters who both who both live in New York City, and I get to see the, the city through their eyes as 20-somethings. So... So I reappreciate it that way. But but still me, my age, when I'm walking around the city, I'm like, why are all these people here? Why can't this, <laughs> why are there so many people on the sidewalk? Why is the garbage here? Why? Like, I'm that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I see it. You have to see it through the eyes of a, of a 20 something, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think that's a good point. But that's something I needed to get off my chest before we got started. So I did. Hey, listen, everybody, um, those listening, I'm sorry that my podcast has been on hiatus for Way too long. It's been like five or six months. Um, not really by by design, but I was working on a on an NFT project, um, which is a whole other conversation that we're not going to get into today. And uh, I was working on that for a few months, and it really just kind of sucked the time out of my schedule. So, um, but it's good to be doing this. And I want to I want to give props to my big bro, Jim. So we're going to introduce you first and welcome you oh. back to the mm-hmm. podcast. This is your third back by popular I, listen, demand. It's, we're not, we don't have to keep score, but it is the third time. And I believe that I'm, <laughs> I, I've third been on this club. podcast more than any other guest. But yeah. again, we're not keeping score. I mean, I think yeah. your name is almost like above the line at this point. So I might have to, <laughs> I might have to revisit the logo. But Jim, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, you. Thank you for this idea because this, this was your idea. You pitched me on this a few weeks ago. You, you uh, texted me and you were like, how about we do an, an episode of, of Top Gun and let's let's talk about Top Gun and you 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 pitch me in the room and and I bought it at the table. Nick Malone, this is uh, episode two for you. Welcome back to the show. Anything you want to say? Where are you where are you calling in from? Calling in from uh, sunny Vieira, Florida, and uh, not too far away from Cape Canaveral, there are uh, there's an Air Force base very close to me. Real fighter pilots in my neighborhood, um, and uh, I'm I'm ready to uh, take it to the uh, danger zone here. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to talk about you in a few minutes because I know this movie is very special for you. Obviously, it is because you're already wearing a flight suit. But more importantly, um, I want to welcome and introduce Scott Safon, who I have had the pleasure of working with in my career. And it was one of the one of the great collaborators I've ever had to this day in my professional career. Um, Scott and I worked at Turner Broadcasting, but I don't want to get into that. I want Scott to get into that because, Scott, I want you to talk about 
the very first moment you and I met each other, because I know you know what it is. I don't remember how we got into this topic, but we got to this topic almost instantly, which was we ta- we started talking about movie posters and which was an obsession of mine from the time I was a, a little kid. And I was really obsessed with movie posters and I would grow up and people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to make movie posters, which, which of course disappointed my parents who were hoping for a doctor or a lawyer uh, and knew I couldn't draw. So they were like, I don't know what you're going to do with movie posters. And then I, I figured out that that was advertising. So if I got into advertising, I could make my way to finally make movie posters. But the thing that was wonderful about talking to you um, Dennis, is that you instantly wanted to talk about movie posters. And even though you were there to interview for a job, we sort of pushed all that aside. And we just talked about movie posters and what we liked and what we didn't like and what, what got us excited the first movie poster we ever bought. And, you know, so that was, that was, uh, that was one of my favorite times ever interviewing somebody for a, a gig at, at Turner. To this day, it was the greatest job interview I have ever had. I, th- I think at the time you were the chief marketing officer of CNN. So, guys, I got to say it. Scott's a player. Okay, yeah. he's a player in the entertainment marketing world. Everybody in the world knows Scott Safon. He's got an amazing reputation. Yep. He's the nicest guy um, that I've ever met, that I've ever worked with. I think. I mean, honestly, I, Scott invited me to his staff meetings every week at CNN. And if you guys watch this guy like hold court around his his staff, um, I'm embarrassing him now. But anybody that worked at CNN at the time knows what I'm talking about. And it was just, it was just a joy. So when we, when I interviewed, I flew down from New York that morning and I get in a car, I, I go to CNN center in downtown Atlanta and I'm meeting with Scott Safon. I'm very nervous. This guy's a CMO. And w- within minutes, we're not even talking about my qualifications or anything. We're talking about movie posters for like almost the entire interview. I mean, I think we exaggerate a little bit, obviously, but, um, but it was sort of close to that. Was and, there like a movie um, poster on the wall that you were referencing? I don't even know how we got into it. <clears throat> I, I wound up uh, – no, no, probably not because I could talk movie posters with anybody if there's nothing on a wall anywhere. I mean I remember every movie poster I ever saw and the way the, – the key art, the tagline, the type, title treatment, like it's just in my head. And Dennis is like that too. So we just were like pulling stuff left and right about everything. It was amazing. Thanks for joining us, Scott. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been wanting to have you on the show since I launched this thing about a year and a half ago. So I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that Nick's back and and Big Bro is on episode three. So why are we here, guys? Um, I've been seeing the marketing everywhere. Nick and I were just talking about this right before we we jumped on that. Like, There's not too many movies where I actually get kind of excited to go see it. Um, Jim, you and I talked a lot about this when we, we, we did the Raiders podcast last year that we were both giddy when uh when temple of doom came out because like we had already seen the first one and we were just all jacked up and we got to the theater you know three hours before tickets were on sale and we were just we were ready for temple of doom but i will say like maybe it's partly because i'm living out in la but i've seen top gun maverick marketing everywhere everywhere i mean it is it is all over the place and in fact yesterday i actually saw a bulletin board for the soundtrack for top gun so not only am I seeing movie bulletins, I'm actually seeing soundtrack bulletins as well. So um, the movie opens this weekend. It's a it's a big sequel. It's been 36 years in the making. Um, Nick, you know, I know what this movie means to you. So we're going to we're going to get into that for a second. But again, again, given the popularity of the original film, 
the cultural impact it had in 1986. I think it was ripe for a deeper discussion. So, Jim, again, thank you for having the idea of, of revisiting Top Gun. So before we get into it, some fast facts. Uh, I want to just kind of run through some numbers and some quick stats. Uh, the film was released May 16th, 1986. Uh, the inspiration was an article called Top Guns by an author named Ehud Yune, and it was featured in the 1983 issue of California Magazine, which I did not know till recently that that's how Top Gun came about. Wow. It was directed by the late Tony Scott, who went on to have a pretty amazing career, in my opinion. He actually directed several high high concept films. One of them is one of my very favorites from the 1990s, uh, True Romance which oh, was really? written by Quentin Tarantino before he went on and did uh, all the films that he went on to direct. So Tony Scott, great filmmaker. It was a $15 million budget. It grossed $357 million worldwide, over a $15 million budget. Um, guys, that's a pretty good ROI, Scott. Um, can you guys, you guys think $15 million is right? That sounds low to me. I, I have questioned that figure ever since I started to do my own research on this film. But evidently, the reason they were able to keep the cost down so low was uh, so much cooperation from the Navy and the armed really? services were just like just offering up help left and right. And that's why, evidently. Wow. What was, what was Cruz pulling in a movie back then? I mean, that's another reason it was so low. Right. I mean, I mean, what do you, I mean, that, what, how many movies had he made leading up to this one? Literally the, the only big thing he had really made was risky business. Risky which business. Was, yeah. I mean, he had made a few things was in taps. He was in the outsiders, but, um, but you know, not, he wasn't that big a deal. Risky business was his, his biggest thing. All right. So it was the highest grossing movie of the year. Anyone want to guess what the number two, grossing movie was that year 86 86 scott knows go ahead now because I, I i looked it up i was i was <laughs> I, love I love it let's make sure you got your you got it right though what is it uh, also from paramount pictures it is crocodile dundee no is yeah. that right yep. <laughs> crocodile dundee was number two i remember hype about that movie a lot more than i remember hype about top gun Wow. Because that that thing was a marketing blitz. Yeah. God, I still remember yep. the ads on the on the TV that ran all the time. We got out. I, can't, I don't even remember what guys. the top ten. Go ahead. Sorry. They thought Paul Hogan was going to be like an international superstar for for <laughs> the ages. He's not. <laughs> well, he was for about three years, and then Crocodile Dundee two probably ended that. That movie was at the movie theater that I worked at, and it was it was pretty awful. Um, last stat, and then we're going to get into it. Um, it was the first new release blockbuster on video cassette VHS to be priced as low as twenty six ninety five. And if, I think if you all remember, like back then, video cassettes were not priced to own; they were priced to rent. Jim Kamlick bucked the trend for which film, Jim? Raiders. It was Empire Strikes Back. You laid down. Uh, oh, that's yeah. You had to order that. Yeah, there was an order form. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you had a like. You, I think you threw down seventy nine ninety five for Empire Strikes Back no and, and our father. I don't remember spending eighty bucks on that. Really? <laughs> yes, you did. You totally did. And I remember our father was not a big fan of the idea. He was not. He did not understand <laughs> no. why you were laying out so much money. But you were working at that time. But again, for a video release, twenty six ninety five at the time was unheard of. It had an eight million dollar marketing campaign just for the video cassette. Um, the advanced demand was such that it became the best-selling cassette in industry history 
just on pre-orders alone. So the video cassette was a big deal. And I could tell you that Dennis Kamlik laid out the $26.95. That, that was a very, very significant moment in the business because suddenly mass marketing, you know, that, that, that proved you could mass market these, these tapes and people would want to own them. And it was, um, it was something. It was, it was a very big deal at the time. For frame of reference, what the new uh, Top Gun Maverick, what's the marketing budget for that to, to promote that film? Oh, oh wow! It, well, remember that this film has been marketed three times over, right? Because it was supposed to come out, you know, two years ago. Then it was supposed to come out last year. Now it's supposed to, so they're just keep it. And and Cruz has an ironclad agreement that they cannot do anything except release it in theaters exclusively. So it has to have one of those releases. So the marketing on this, the marketing budget on this film is going to be extraordinary. I don't, I don't know, ten, hundreds of millions of dollars, but they have tie-ins and. You know, these movies, uh, there's a lot of marketing partners uh, involved here. We were all at different ages in our lives in 1986 when this film was released. Um, Nick, you were the youngest. I was the second youngest. But I guess let's start with you, Scott. You're the elder statesman here. But tell us, like, where were you when this movie came out? What were you doing in your in your life? Where were you based? Did you see it in the theater? And, like, what kind of impact did it have on you? Yeah. So I, it was uh, May of 1986. I was 26 years old. I was working in New York City for uh, an ad agency that at that point was, had just become DMBNB. So it was one of the very big traditional old fashioned ad agencies. I was an account executive on, I was account supervisor on Pepto-Bismol. Yes. I was introducing Pepto-Bismol tablets and to, to, to add a little poignance to this, I have a picture of me with all of my Pepto-Bismol tablet ads posted on my wall in my bedroom in my apartment as if they were movie posters. <laughs> That's how badly I wanted to be making movie posters. Um, I went around the corner. I was living at 2nd Avenue between 34th and 35th I'm uh, in Manhattan. I walked around the corner to Lowe's 34th and saw Top Gun and uh, went with a whole bunch of people. And it was in New York City back at that time. You would get in line at the theater because they didn't sell tickets in advance. You got in line at the theater hours ahead or you had somebody go hold a place in line and then you you know went out and did stuff and met them afterwards but it probably the whole event probably started an hour and a half before the movie started wow and and when you saw it scott did you know like afterwards when you're walking out of the theater and you're talking about it that did you guys know that you you saw something special was there that kind of vibe or was it just like another popcorn you know studio movie and you sort of went out and just went about your business you know, the movie, it's a good question because it's, it, it's maybe happened seven or eight times in my movie going life where you're in a theater and the whole theater is in the palm of the hand of the movie maker and, and they're, and they're practically, you know, standing on the seats cheering by the end. And you know, this is a hit. This is like a great experience. Everybody's loving this. Yeah. I didn't think it. Honestly, I didn't think it was the greatest film, but I loved the experience of it. I just loved it and and i knew that everybody in the theater enjoyed enjoyed being together and having that experience jim when did you you remember seeing it where were you what were you doing i know that i've had time to 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 come up with this answer and i mean i was i was you know i was at penn state and in may of 86 i mean i would think i probably wasn't home yet um i was probably taking finals or whatever and um i don't i don't have distinct you know this is what it was. This is what I was doing. This is who who I was with uh, to share with you guys. So feel free to cut this out. 
No, it's all <laughs> it's all good. It's a, it's a, it's an honest answer. That makes sense. I had a feeling that you were probably still at school at the time, and maybe not, maybe not something you probably would have rushed right out and seen, given right. the fact that you probably had other things going on. I mean, Nick, I know that. So listen, I was going to save this for later, but we'll just do this now. You're you're the son of a military man. Yep. Um, I'm going to surprise you with something, Nick. Okay. Oh boy. You know, you know what this is? Oh wow! Yeah. Pair of wings. You know who gave me this? Come on, Nick. My dad gave you that. Your your father gave me this. He absolutely did. He gave this to us. Gave this to me at the premiere of Keep the Bottle Close in Atlanta when he was at that premiere, and he gave this to me. Um, I've I've kept this. I actually keep it in a little bag. Oh my god, dude! You're gonna make me cry. So look, listen, your dad's a military guy. You you are the son of a military family. So this movie clearly is a big deal for you. Oh, yeah. You named you named your son Maverick, which we're yeah. gonna get into in a minute. But um, Scott, did you know that, by the way? No. Maverick Malone, Maverick Malone buddy. He's coming in hot. <laughs> I love that name. Yeah. I think it's a great name. All right. So we're, we have a lot to unpack there. We're going to get into the Maverick thing in a second. But Nick, the movie the movie comes out. You're you're a little bit younger than everybody else on this podcast. Little. Um, was it a big deal for you at the time? Or was it really more of a big deal for your father? And thus, it became a big deal for you like later in life. Walk us through how it how it impacted you. Well, so my dad, wow, touch, you brought out the wings, buddy. That, that was a big deal. Um, yeah, my dad, so he was a captain in the Navy 25 years, very, very long, active Navy career. And he uh, he's probably listening to this, so I'm going to watch kind of how I word things. But <laughs> he, um, so he got, so he's in Navy, like the massive deployments. He was out to see most of my early childhood, long stretches of time. He'd be out to see and he'd come back. Um, but this movie hit right around the end of uh, the school year. Now, we were living in New Orleans. He was stationed. Uh, he was you know, at the time in New Orleans. So uh, <laughs> one of the first days of summer vacation, he comes to me and the kid in the yard. We're playing like stickball. And he says, hey, what are you guys doing? We're like, you want to play with us? And he was like, you guys want to go to the movies? And nobody had ever asked that. I'd never been to a movie theater in my life. He said, you want to go to the movies? He may have well said, you want to go to the White House and meet the president? Like, it was like, <laughs> go to the movies? are you serious? We're going to the movies today? Today? Today we're doing that? And so he took me and my buddy, and he's still wearing the khaki uniform. Like, you know what I'm talking about, Jim, what you had on in, uh, in the few <laughs> He's wearing the khakis, right? And like the thing, and he's still got, he's got like the Tom Scarab mustache. We go into that movie theater, and like literally guys see him in uniform walking in, and they're like doing like the whole like, thank you for your service whole thing. And I'm like, sure. my dad's a big deal. My dad's a big deal, you know, this whole deal. And uh, it was the first time I'd actually been to a movie theater. So I don't know if the cultural significance of the movie hit me, but it was like, movies are a big deal. This is incredible. And we walked in and I got to say, like most of the movies I'd say I'd seen at home, they're, you know, they're Disney cartoons or short circuit, they're that kind of stuff. This thing seemed like a damn documentary. This is the most realistic movie I had seen to date at that point. I'm thinking, holy crap, we're watching like, like the, 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 Jet takes off and we're going after Russian MiGs. I think we're watching like a documentary. We're going to war with Russia at six years old. I'm thinking this is the most incredible thing. It was the most mind blowing experience. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. That's cool. Yeah. Wait, so how how old were you when that movie came out? I was six. You were six years old. Almost. That was your first movie in the theater. Top first Gun was your theater. very first. So that's why. Is that, I mean, is that really why it's such a special, I mean, among other reasons, but is that why? Well, I kicked off a love of movies for certainly. And again, that's ultimately where I chose in my own adult life. But at the time, you know, what I was saying, like the dad being out to sea, the Navy thing with the long deployments as a kid and your dad's not home. You don't really know what's going on. 
you know, a lot of that you wonder, like, what's it like? What's it like being in the Navy? What is he doing when he's not in the house? You know, and some of the states we lived in, like six months, eight months, he'd be out to sea. You didn't know. In Top Gun, we're seeing guys on ships. We're seeing like the scenes in the, you know, and I'm thinking like, that's what dad does, you know? And not that he's a fighter pilot, because I knew he wasn't a fighter pilot, but like that's life on a ship, right? That look at what's going on. My dad's a hero, you know? It's like fathers and sons. Like you want your dad to be a hero. The guy was, right? The guy was on, you know, he was a hero. And it was like, it was a peek into that. And so like, I'm thinking like, he's taking me to this movie because it matters. And this is like a big deal. Like he's wearing the damn uniform in the theater, right? <laughs> and like, we're sitting there watching. I'm thinking like, holy crap, this, look at this thing on the screen. This is like what he does when he's not at home. And it mattered a lot, you know, and uh, yeah. And then uh, just then the way it all played out, the storylines and everything, I just fell in love with the movie. I fell in love. I mean, I'm six years old. So of course it all hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd never seen anything like it, nothing to compare it to. Um, the kid I was with was his dad was also a Navy guy. And so we're going home. Like we wanted to pretend like our whole lives were, were fighter pilots. Well, our bikes became fighter planes and we're like, Oh my God, we won't be like our dads, you know, grow up, grow up to be like that, you know? Did you, all right. So two quick questions, two follow-ups. One is, did you have a newfound respect for your father after you, you saw Top Gun? Like, did it romanticize, you know, what he did for a living, yeah. which you already sort of knew, but the movie obviously makes it a, a much bigger thing. And B, more importantly, what did your dad think of Top Gun? Yeah. Did it, was he a fan of it? Yeah, he loved it. Um, he was, he's funny. Like, yeah, well, was at six years old, your dad's a hero. Anything your dad does is the best great thing that ever happened. You know, he loved you. And he was like that. He was like the larger than life personality. The guy walked in the room and everybody stood up. You know, that, that, was, that was my dad. Like, um, Still is. Still is like that. But um, yeah, so he, lo- he he's one of those guys, if you watch any military related movie, he wants to point out, uh, well, <laughs> we would have said it this way. We would have done this. Like if you watch that Tom Hanks uh, Greyhound movie on Apple TV, like my dad's like unbearable to be with because he'll literally uh, tell you. Well, <laughs> if I was Skipper, we would have done X, Y, Z. Like, okay, calm down, Dad. Calm down. Tom Hanks is doing a good job. Let's just watch Tom Hanks and be happy. You know, it's okay. You know, Top Gun is the same kind of deal. It's like, well, actually, that's an Air Force ship, and really, the Navy would have done, oh, blah, 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 blah. But, but when it's all said and done, he's like, you like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of like that, Dad. It's like, yeah, no, it's pretty cool, huh? Uh, well, I, all right. So, Nick, I've never told you this, and for, for all of you, um, I was a little bit lukewarm when Top Gun came out. So I didn't, hadn't seen it yet. I didn't have the reaction that Scott had because I hadn't seen it yet, but Jim, this was your fault. So when you were at Penn state, I think it was earlier that winter. I remember dad and I, he took me to the boat show down in, uh, I guess in wherever the, they did the boat show. Was it Nassau Coliseum back in the day? Exactly. And, right. uh, and I remember you had, you had called home and you had said that you, you're like, you, you specifically said, Dad, you and Dennis need to go see this movie. It just came out. You know, Condon and I just saw it. You guys just saw it. Iron Eagle. Remember Iron Eagle? That was fantastic. Thank, right? It was, uh, it was Lou, Lou Gossett Jr. and, and uh, Jason Gedrick, right? So you tell me. You're like, you guys need to go see Iron Eagle. And my dad's like, Jimmy, what is, what is it called? So, like, you know, he writes it down. So he drags me after the boat show. We went to go see Iron Eagle. And I fell in love with Iron Eagle and all its craptasticness, right? I mean, this is a this is a movie about two guys that steal two planes. It's and based they, on a true story. It's based on a true story. They <laughs> they steal two planes. They fly to the Middle East, right? And they they basically blow the shit out of this compound and they Spoiler. rescue the one kid's father because he was he was captured by these you know 
Iraqi uh, soldiers or whatever. And, you know, these guys are listening to rock music and it's, it's Lou Gossett Jr. coming off of his award that he won for Officer and Gentleman and Paycheck Movie all the way. Anyway, I loved Iron Eagle. So that was, for me, that was sort of like the fighter jet movie. It was Iron Eagle. There wasn't anything else. That was it. And then I hear about Top Gun. And I'm like, wait, what? what is this? Tom Cruise is doing a movie about fighter jets? I didn't like the fact that there was another movie coming out, which obviously Hollywood has done over and over again years since then. There's always, there's always two movies that come out about a topic if it's Deep Impact and Volcano or, or whatever it is, right? Um, terrible reference, by the way. Volcano is awful. But Jim, Iron Eagle, I know you're a fan of it because you love the song from Queen, well, One Vision. Yeah, so let, let, let me give you the, the dad test that I did. So I knew we were going to be talking about Iron Eagle today. So sometimes <laughs> I'll bring up my phone and I'll play the what they call the classic trailer for my kids. So for those listening at home, I've got a 12-year-old, i got a 9-year-old. So I was like, Oliver, just check out this Just check out this Iron Eagle trailer. So we watch it together. It's dated. It's exactly as silly as, as Dennis just described it. So when we got done with the trailer, I'm like, what do you think about that movie? And he's like, meh. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Did you see him blowing up oil refineries? Yeah. Meh. Eh, I don't know. I said, do you want to watch it? Well, well, I don't think so. I'm like, what are you talking about? One vision, man. Did you not hear the music pumping? He's, no, I didn't think I, I don't think so. So it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's Luke Gossett Jr., though. He was an Oscar winner. He doesn't know who that is. I think Jason Gedrick was not Tom Cruise, and I think that ultimately <laughs> had, had something to do with that. But I will now check out Iron Eagle. Now I'm now I'm uh, well, Scott. It's it's not very good. So and That's and to, to kind of to close the to close the loop here, I'm, someone I finally did see Top Gun because I I was 15 when I saw it, and I remember seeing it with Dad and Mom and. And uh, I had to admit, like I, I the 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 fighter sequences were just like it blew Iron Eagle out of the water. Like I mean, I mean Iron Eagle. I w- I go back and look at it today. You could just tell how fake and phony it looks. But Top Gun to this day still looks like the real deal to me. And I, I want to get into that in a minute when we start talking about the film a little bit more specifically. But let's switch gears. So let's. I want to talk about the cultural impact of Top Gun because I, you know, it's hard for me to sort of understand what it meant in the mid eighties when this movie came, when this movie came out, I do know enough about film to know that back at that point, you know, Scott, there was a lot of, I guess, Reagan era escapism, you know, or movies that sort of celebrated what I call American exceptionalism. Right. So there was Rambo, which came out the year before Rambo two, I should say Um, red Dawn came out. I think the year before Rambo, you had Rocky four, you had top gun, I mean, I would even throw in, you know, a silly movie like Spies Like Us, which was, you know, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. But again, it was all about the Cold War. It was about U.S. versus Russia. Scott, like you were the oldest at the time. So like, talk a little bit about was was it was it obvious when Top Gun came out that it was sort of. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, remember the, the, the big news stories at the time. I mean, 1986 was a crazy year. I mean, it's st- the year started with the Challenger exploding, which, mm. it, you know, as a as a symbol of of, you know, maybe, you know, a, America not being exceptional. That was certainly a blow on on so many levels to, you know, a space, uh, you know, a big space project 
uh, tragically ending that way. So that's how the year started. Then you had situations like, well, there was the Chernobyl disaster that happened uh, like two or three weeks right before Top Gun premiered, which was not an American disaster. It was a Russian one, but it certainly felt like horrible news for the world. And so people really were looking, I mean, Top Gun in many ways was escapist entertainment, but it was what Hollywood was really made to do. Like give a, give us a big theater experience that was exciting. It would rev you up, excite you. It was, yes, the fact that it was draped in America, you know, American, you know, military might and, and, and yet, yet curiously apolitical, which was interesting. And, and yet it, it, it made you feel wonderful. And Mm -hmm. so you got to to spend time with, you know, beautiful people Mm -hmm. doing exciting things and this whole group of character actors who were fantastic, you know, doing all their character stuff. I mean, it was a wonderful piece of entertainment in that regard. So it came, I think it sort of came around at the exact right time um, to, to, you know, for the American public, for the world, actually, it was, it was successful everywhere. One of the, one of the things I, f- I found interesting guys, when, when, when I revisited this film not long ago is that the, the finale, I guess that the final act, when these guys are up there fighting again, it's, it's sort of a no name enemy, right? Like they never, they never call out a country or, or anything like that, you know, it's bad, right? You know, these guys are in these more over the Indian ocean, right? Different colored jets, but you, you knew who you needed to root for. But I, I find it really interesting at the time that they didn't choose to pick out which country we were fighting. I, I find that fascinating. Actually. I, 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 I went and rewatched as I was rewatching the film. I, I rewatched that section like three times going, they must've, they must've indicated who were fighting. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> they do well, not. I mean, in the beginning, you war. know it's Russian MIGs, and that's that's as close as they get, right? They don't really because they probably right. still wanted to show the movie in Russia. Being in a military family was was it a big deal when Top Gun came out for you? I mean, I knew you just you just walked us through that, but like more from a from like an American military perspective, was it something that you heard your dad and his and his buddies talking about, or was it was it were you too young to really remember the, that? The, the guy, yeah, apparently all the Navy dads and near that base. We're all going to see this movie. And they, the, everybody was all about it. The reason why the government cooperated so much, they thought it was going to be a big recruiting drum. They were going to get a lot of recruits out of, of that movie, so they, they cooperated a lot. So, uh, But, yeah, it resonated well. And, you know, all those guys, all those guys loved it. I mean, we should ask Jason Thompson the next time we talk to him. Like, <laughs> maybe, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, it was one of those movies that they all, uh, they all got behind, you know, absolutely. And and the Navy did do recruiting at right. at a lot of the bigger engagements. Um, there were there were recruitment stations set up by the Navy during like certain promotional weekends and everything. It was it, it's 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 talked about a bit as as uh, one of the more controversial tie-ins to the film, but it was very actively used as as a recruitment vehicle. Hey, Jim, you br- you brought up a good point earlier about Tom Cruise that they hadn't really done anything major before before this film, except for maybe risky business. And I would add all the right moves in there. There were, there were a few others that Scott mentioned, but Jim, I know that you're you're a huge cruise guy. Like I would say that you know if I had a list, you know, two actors that my brother is is the biggest you know supporter of, is it fair to say that Tom Cruise is on that list? Yeah, I wonder who the other one is. All right, who? Is, I mean, I would say Harrison Ford is the other one. Harrison Ford, maybe Denzel. Um, but yeah, Cruise is up there. I mean, I don't I don't sign in for his politics and his craziness, but as a movie star. There's nobody better than Tom Cruise. There's nobody better. You're right. All right. So did you know, I, I, I came across this earlier when I was doing some research, that this film, Matthew Modine, initially turned down the role as Maverick. 
Get the hell out of here. He was busy doing Vision Quest? or (laughs) I don't even know what your Vision Quest was. It's the only movie I can name with Matthew Modine in it. Get the hell out of here, Matthew Modine. Full Metal Jacket. Who the hell offered Matthew Modine Maverick? (laughs) Clearly Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer must have talked to him at one point. But um, and we're going to get into those guys in a second. But I guys, listen, Matthew Modine is a perfectly fine actor. I'm not a huge Modine guy, but I I certainly don't dislike him. But I can't even remotely skit Matthew Modine playing Maverick. You can't take that seriously. I was just going to say that I can't see Matthew Modine as as no, no chance. No chance. Maybe good out of here. Get him out of here. No way Modine pulls off Maverick. Here's what I'll say to you guys. I mean, and tell me what you think on this, but like I was thinking about this earlier. So why was it that this was like the perfect vehicle for Tom Cruise, right? Like why, why was Top Gun, why did it just click? And I think it's two things. One is clearly women wanted to be with him. He was, he was the ultimate sex symbol at the time in the mid eighties, but I think men wanted to be him. Yeah. Right. I mean, is that fair to say that like, this was, this was a, an actor and I guess a character that sort of checked both of those boxes. Does that make sense? I would say this about Tom Cruise because he's like the shortest guy in the movie. I mean, (laughs) he's short and it's very obvious when you're watching the movie. It's like, wow, the short guy is getting all the attention here. Um, as a short guy, um, uh, I say this, but, but Tom Cruise has charisma that, Matthew Modine, for example, does not have, and and very, very, very few film actors have the type of charisma that Tom Cruise has. Right. And so Maverick could be completely unlikable if you just if he just didn't overwhelm that unlikability with all that damn charisma. Yeah. And he's 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 so compelling. Watch the the trailer for the new Mission Impossible movie, which just d- dropped like yesterday or something. No, it dropped today, my friend. Oh, it did. Oh, oh yeah. It is. Yes, it's sir. spectacular. It's spectacular. spectacular, and it's like Tom Cruise fills the screen. His face fills the screen. It's like you're. This is a movie star, like right. a true movie star. It's it's interesting. I watched that trailer as well today, Jim, and um, and I and I've been reading up on Top Gun Maverick quite a bit the last couple of weeks because it's getting insanely good reviews. I mean, to the point that there's talk that this movie will most likely be nominated for best picture. It is apparently that good. I was reading a lot about uh, Cruz was at the Cannes film festival last week. They did a big premiere there and it, it had a thundering ovation, but like I was looking at the photos and Cruz finally seems like he's starting to look older. And yeah. it's, it's weird. Cause I, I would view like Tom Cruise until like recently, like, Tom Cruise just seems ageless to me. The guy looks like he's the same age movie after movie, but I'm finally seeing like the cracks a little bit in, in the photos. And he just starting to, in that trailer today, I finally realized that Tom Cruise is looking every bit 61. Uh, as, a, as another 61 year old, I will say he looks better. <laughs> uh, I would say, Scott, I would ask you this. So a lot of the press for Top Gun Maverick in Kansas specifically, they're saying he's like one of the last true movie stars. What does that mean exactly? Like, because we don't have movie stars in 2022. Tom Cruise is the last one. I think it's interesting that question. I I think that I I think there was uh, some response to that. It's like, well, Leo DiCaprio would like to have a word with you. Like, so there there are few though. There aren't that many. Harrison Ford is a movie star, but um, but this is good. This is a real question for right now because when when studios have to decide, is this movie going into theaters or is it going onto a streaming service? That's the question. Is this you know, movie stars are for the movie theaters probably, and some on some level, not all the. the ways but and because yeah. i love seeing movies in a movie theater no matter what but i think this might be the real 
way we're we're thinking about these the these kind of you know these yeah. films. This is why so so much people so many people are so interested in Top Gun Maverick because it's really the question is you know what is the future of theaters uh more than anything i think because this is not a superhero movie um so it is it's it's something else for all of you i sort of feel like there's a lot of pressure on top gun maverick to sort of save the motion picture theatrical industry like you know i think you know there's been a couple of films this year that have done really well and i do think i read something the other day that the box office is sort of getting fairly close back to where it was in 2019 pre-pandemic. But I do think that there's a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure on Top Gun Maverick to be sort of the film that sort of saves Hollywood from a theatrical perspective. I mean, whether or not Top Gun Maverick wants that, you know, responsibility or not, it remains to be discussed. But I, I sort of feel like that's the pressure that's been put on this film to to, to deliver this weekend. Yeah, well, it's true, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think it is the pressure. I mean, it's the pressure. Tom Cruise, I think, has thrown down the gauntlet, though, because he said he's the one who stood firm that it will not. It, it not that's only great. does it not get to go simultaneous on streaming, it's a 90 day exclusive window, I think. And he's betting he's betting hundreds of millions of dollars that I mean, he's other people's money that. Um, that, you know, this film can play the way films used to play before. And it'll be interesting. Remember, one of the things that was surprising about Top Gun, the one we're talking about here, it was in theaters in over a thousand screens when a thousand screens meant something. It was on a thousand screens for like six months. I mean, it was in the top 10 all the way. It opened in May all the way through October. Yeah. That's extraordinary. And I heard, I I read that it it grew like 45% in, in, in grosses after like week four or week five in release, which, you know, sort of never happens. Listen, I mean, like one more thing on the movie theater thing, and I want to get back to Cruz for a second, but like what I love about, you know, Tom Cruise and, and and I guess people like Chris Nolan and, and James Cameron is that they are so wedded to the theatrical movie going experience. I'm a big fan of it. Jim, I know you're a big fan of it, Nick. I think all of us are. Yeah. And, you know, I love the fact that I read something last week in Variety that said that Cruise was personally calling theater owners, you know, telling them to, you know, to, 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 to play Top Gun Maverick in their theater, it, it, that you will not be disappointed. And clearly, we all know what James Cameron feels about the theatrical experience. Yeah. I mean, Avatar Two, which is coming later this year, is 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 nothing but designed for the theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I'm I'm holding out, man. I I really do hope that the theaters do come back. As as someone that worked in theaters for many years in my in my youth, I. I refuse to believe that they're gone. And I really do hope that Top Gun does have the opening that everybody's expecting it to have so that, you know, maybe more people will start to kind of follow suit. My, I'll raise a sort of a, a side note here. It was interesting when I was talking about this film and this conversation we were going to have with my wife, I, I said, were you a Top Gun fan? And she was like, no, but uh, the movie that I remember so well in theaters that I had a similar, was Officer and a Gentleman. Oh. And I was like, well, that's interesting if you, if somebody were making Officer and a Gentleman today, it would be like for a streaming service. It'd be like, a ten I don't know a series. You know, I don't right, right, exactly. I don't know if you would make it for like and say, oh, this has to be seen in theaters. Yet the theatrical experience, the the the, the in theater experience of Officer and a Gentleman is transcendent. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The whole theater erupts by the end. I mean, it's one of the great, like one of the best theater experience I've ever had. I mean, it's interesting. It's like, what are those movies? Like movies that are they, are they not going to be made for theaters? Top Gun's easy. That's going to be in theaters. Avatar is going to be in theaters. 
the next Marvel film is going to be in theaters. Is Officer and a Gentleman going to be in theaters? I don't know. I don't think this generation shares the same loving uh, experience of the communal experience of because it was the only option we had. You know, it's not theirs. They can watch uh, they can watch a movie on their iPhone. You know, it's not the same deal. They don't have the same reverence towards it. You're not going to watch you're not going to watch the modern day indie art house movie in the theater. You're going to watch it on a on your you know your Roku. You're not going to watch it uh, in a in a twenty seat movie theater art house. You know anymore. I know, but you and how how sad is that? Because think about sad. how great those communal experiences have been for an even you know for a small indie art house film that you discover with a, with thirty other people at the same time, and you like wow. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking the other day about what else came out that summer, and I remember I remember Stand by Me was another big film from the summer of '86, and like that again to your point, that's a film today that will just would just it's not going to get made for theaters. It's it's a movie that would go right to streaming, and it's a it's a great story, obviously, but certainly not something that people are going to go line up in theaters. But I want to get back to Tom Cruise. So Jim, he's your guy. I know he's your guy. Is this the movie that will forever define Tom Cruise? Is it Top Gun? Is it something else? Um, I would put it in top five. I mean, again, you know, I'm a few good men fan. I mean, I like, you know, I like the firm very much. I mean, I think that there's other movies that he's, you know, that he's made his mark on, but I mean, I think the lightning struck something in, in everybody's brain when this movie came out. So I think it's probably his most, you know, it'll be his most famous. What is your favorite? This is more subjective. What is your favorite Tom Cruise character and film um, recognizing that that might not be the same thing. Who's going first? I'll go first. Go first. I'd say my favorite Tom Cruise character is Ethan Hunt, and favorite movie is uh, Few Good Men. Jim, I got to tell you, I wrote down um, my favorite Cruise character is without a doubt Ethan Hunt. So Ethan Hunt. I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with you. And the when he says Kittrich, you've never seen me upset, is one of the best lines Cruise has ever delivered ever. Dude, and Kittredge is back in the new film. I couldn't I believe saw that. it. Yeah, saw yeah. Is he? He's in seven? He, I didn't know he was still alive, Nick. Nick, go ahead. Favorite Cruise character in, in film? Well, this. I mean, I hate to, I hate to bury the like lead. It's, it's Maverick. I named my kid Maverick because <laughs> I love uh, the performance and the whole deal. I'm a big Cruise guy, too. Uh, he's done a lot of a lot of very fun roles. Uh, it's got to be Maverick. It's got to be Top Gun. I mean, you could say like there's some other good ones he did that you love, but come on, what's cooler than Maverick? I don't know, man. I think Ethan Hunt might be cooler than than Pete Mitchell. Um, I'm just throwing that out there, Scott. Your turn. Well, I'm going a different way, and I love Tom Cruise. I think I, the first time I saw one of those clips uh, packages that that tribute to his career, it's it's sort of my jaw was on the floor realizing how my, how many different types of roles he has played and how what an extraordinary. It's like when you see this with Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise, you're like, wow, for decades these guys have been doing amazing work. Um, my favorite, I think, when I saw Born on the Fourth of July and I saw him do Ron Kovic, I was like. Oh my God, this, this is something else. Um, he's a real actor and he's like, he's not just a personality and not, um, but really my favorite, my favorite cruise was risky business because I saw that that movie, that movie had a huge impact on me because it was the first time I saw a movie that I was like, it is talking to me in a way that no other movie I had ever seen talked to me. I think it's a brilliant film. And I tell people now, and they'll be like, oh, is that the one where he dances in his underwear to old-fashioned rock and roll? I'm like, oh, yes, but you don't know half of it. It's 
it, the movie's genius. I don't know what happened to Paul Brickman and his career or whatever, but um, God, that film is utter genius. Good movie. I love it. Um, I will add two to the list before we move on. Uh, one is um, the work he did in Rain Man, I thought was yeah. was pretty outstanding. I, and I think, you know, Hoffman got the award and certainly got a lot of the accolades. But I think Tom Cruise had the more difficult part in that film. And uh, and I thought he was I thought he was tremendous in it. I thought he had to carry that movie in many ways. And then I would say more recently from Rain Man was I thought small, small part, but I thought he was outstanding and collateral. Um, as as the hitman to Jamie Foxx, I, th- I thought just the, the the work he did in that film and and the just the the ferociousness he brought to that character it was un- it just it's not a side of Cruz that you see very often and you certainly don't see him play villains hardly ever. Um, and I thought the fact that he he chose to do that film with Michael Mann and play that kind of character, I thought that was that just said a lot about how he matured as as an artist. So um, I think he got bonus points because he was in a Michael Mann movie with you. Oh, of course, because he's my I guy. I think that added to it. Like, regardless uh, I, what he did, because he was in a man film, Dennis is like, well, obviously I like this. All right. So last cruise question for all of you guys and anybody that wants this one, feel free to chime in. What What is it about Tom Cruise that has allowed him to endure the way that he has? I mean, because, I mean, as you said earlier, like this is a guy there's just there's nobody to like him. So, yeah. like, is it is it the work ethic? Is it is it something something else? But what is it that? You know, at 61 years old, that Tom Cruise can still open something that no other actor or performer really can. He's almost like he he went through a stretch where recently, where or not that recently, I guess like the Oprah jumping on the couch about Katie Holmes, like the Scientology, where people are not on board with him. And he had movies come out that nobody cared about. And now, you know, but then Top Gun Maverick comes out and in Cannes, he's the last true movie star. It's standing ovations for seven minutes. It's the greatest thing, you know, he's back and everybody wants to root for him. And it's because he's it's because he's doing this or Ethan Hunt, like the that's going to get another huge thing. He's getting like the Keanu Reeves treatment where all of a sudden we're like, we're back in. We're back in your business where he was not the dude when he put out like uh, the one with the Emily Blunt and they're in space or something. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, nobody cared the same way that they care about this. Yeah, but listen, I, I think I think that's interesting that you you brought up that movie. That movie is called Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which I was actually going to reference because that is a a non IP film, right? You you can make the argument that Cruz has kind of stayed close to, to to the script where he's done Ethan Hunt many many times over, and I think the Mission Impossible films have gotten better with 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 time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I love the first film, but I, I think that the the recent sequels have been outstanding. But Edge of Tomorrow was a big swing for him, where it was maybe it was mismarketed. And certainly mistitled, and I, I I would argue that it was. But at the same time, that movie was was excellent material, fantastic film, and, right? And Absolutely. like, and I think it was fantastic because of Tom Cruise. I think my answer to that question, slap, is that he provides a character that is fun to cheer for. And you can say the same thing about Harrison Ford when he does it right. But there's something about Tom Cruise when his, with his big smile up on the screen, no matter what he's doing, he's believable. And he provides something for me to cheer for. I mean, he is the, uh, the epitome of, of, of a movie hero. The only thing I would add to this, I agree with everything that everybody has said. Uh, the thing I would add, though, is that, you know, Cruz's notorious perfectionism is also uh, coming from a, like a producer's mentality. He's producing himself all the time. 
and and all of this is very deliberate. All of this is very intentional. He rarely looks in in all the stuff we've talked about that we reference. He rarely looks different. I mean, every once in a while he'll show up in a movie like Magnolia and everything. He'll be completely different looking right. with long hair or something else, but really not. It's always the same haircut. It's always the same. Like he knows what his brand is, yeah. and he brands himself very, very, very deliberately. Now he finds IP like Mission Impossible, like Top Gun, that works. That works for him. I'm always as interested in what he does that's off-brand, and I hope he produces. Actually, I hope Tom Cruise produces more of other people's work too, because I think he is an outstanding film producer, and he understands, you know, how to produce film. I mean, the the stunt work that he does alone is 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 just rare in terms of how he just commits himself entirely to a character. Jim, you, I want to talk about Top Gun a little bit more specifically. So you talked about the firm. You mentioned the firm earlier, which is a, a good reference. One of the things I love most about Top Gun, and I would love all of your takes on this, is that the, you can fire up Top Gun right now, and it sounds like we all sort of watched it um, individually over the last several weeks, is that film still feels very, so, sort of feels very timeless to me. It does not feel dated. You could say, you know, Rain Man feels dated based on some of the fashions and the hair, and and I would say even The Firm, which was only, you know, four or five, five or six years later after Top Gun, but like, the baggy suits, it has a more of a dated feel, right? And I think Top Gun, and I don't know why this is, but Top Gun still feels like it was filmed yesterday. Now, even if it was made in 1986, a long time ago, but the movie doesn't come across to me. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying this across the board, but certainly it feels like it's just a crisp, muscular studio film that has not aged a whole hell of a lot. Is that fair to say? Yes. It's extremely fair to say there's an there's an energy to it where I think some old movies just kind of crawl. And I think this one, I don't know if it's the music, it's the visuals, it's the cinematography. There's an energy to this movie and it, and it pops off the screen. Like I would pitch it to, you know, an intern that started this summer that you will like this movie. It has got it's got a real p- pizzazz to it. Yeah, I think the only the only dated thing about it, really, I mean, there's there's some dated things about it, but um, uh, Kelly McGillis's uh, outfits and stuff, which are <laughs> hilariously uh, out of date. Um, but I had the thing is, we didn't talk about Kelly McGillis, and and she is. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was excited to see the movie the first weekend because I had had such a huge crush on Kelly McGillis after Witness that I was like, I will see anything this woman does, and I felt like she has this had this huge star quality too um ultimately didn't pay off and i think she you know she took a different path some of it was personal you know challenges that she had and everything she didn't make a lot of movies but she she was i felt like in witness she was like a movie star and then i was excited to see her in this too so she was nominated for an oscar for witness i'm 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 fairly certain that movie was up for a bunch of awards um, she probably could have really done anything she wanted to do after witness. So she did top gun, which obviously put her at the next tier. But I mean, after top gun, I went back and looked at this. She did the accused, which was probably the only other high profile film that she did. And she was kind of the co-lead with Jodie Foster. And then, you know, I think, I think within like within a year or two, I, I hate to make fun of this, but like she was doing movies like Santa bears first Christmas, which I've never, never even heard of until I, till I looked this up, but like, why, why do you think, why do you think that happened to her? I mean, like Top Gun, biggest movie of the year, biggest movie in the world. And then, and she, her career just, is that an indictment on female actresses in, in Hollywood and just how, 
you know, how delicate their careers can be. A couple of years after Top Gun, there was Days of Thunder, which was for many, in many respects, a Top Gun redux (laughs) on some level. And even the way it was marketed and it was instead of Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis in that poster, it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, his, his new wife, who's also, I guess, playing a nuclear physicist or something. And at that time we laughed because who is this Nicole Kidman playing a nuclear physicist? Now it went through Nicole Kidman has had, Wonderful. An extraordinary career continues to have and ex- and do the most interesting work of anyone in in the business, I think, and does everything. I mean, she's fascinating, it really is. But at the time, we were sort of like laughing, and I think that Kelly McGill's just didn't. I, I think she probably didn't, you know, have the drive that like the 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 same drive. She certainly has talent. She had talent. I think she still is talented. She does stage work. She does a lot of stuff. But I don't know if she wanted. That and she also had, if you read the backstory on on her, like some serious, serious like uh, issues that happened to her, bad things that happened to her in her personal life. Were there other like strong female characters in movies at that point? Because I sort of feel like the the, the character of Charlie was a really interesting character because she sort of was like this really independent, strong, strong willed, um, you know, consultant for the Navy and didn't need a man. It didn't seem like it doesn't play that way. Right. Obviously she, she falls in love with Pete Mitchell and they, they love each other at the end, but like, I don't think she needed Maverick, but were there, were there other characters before Charlie coming along that were sort of similar? Was it, was this movie sort of like kind of a big deal in that regard that, wow, they really kind of, they spent time fleshing out that character. Well, Alien and Aliens, Aliens, the sequel was, 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 you know, one of the top films of the year. I mean, when you look at the movies that were, uh, the awarded the the Oscar nominated films in 1986. You see, you you see movies like Hannah and Her Sisters, which had a lot of strong female characters, and Aliens, where you had like a badass, you know, female character leading the charge. Um, I think there was, I think it was all over the place. I think the Kel- Kelly McGillis character was Charlie was seen a little bit like a fantasy character, I think, but in, in the context of Top Gun, where they were kind of all fantasy characters, I, I you know, I, I mean, Nick, you had a different perspective because you you had that reality in your life and you had a, a real life counterpart to, to that, which gives you a, a fascinating perspective on this movie and the world it shows. I I took it all as wow, these are larger than life. Uh, that the whole movie seemed very larger than life to me. I find it really interesting, given what we just talked about with Tom Cruise and his age, and he's starting to look a little bit closer to 61 than he's had in the past. But like the fact that they brought Jennifer Connelly in as the as and again, not, not, none of us have seen this film yet. They brought him, her in as the love interest in the sequel. And I guess she's playing a character that was referenced in the original Top Gun, a, a character by the name of Penny Benjamin. Um, so she's she's playing the Admiral's daughter. The Admiral's so like, daughter. Is that right? That is correct. But I guess the question I have is like the fact that they're bringing in Jennifer Connelly and not bringing back Kelly McGillis says a lot about, I guess, the industry and ageism, right? I mean, the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, they will blunt some of this conversation in the marketing of the film because Val Kilmer is in the film. And, and I think that that is, um, they'll get so many, 
so much attention and, and credit for trying to to make it okay for Val Kilmer, who has not been well and everything, to be a, a part of this movie that I think it, it sort of overshadows a little bit of the, well, hey, what happened to Kelly? Um, you know, and Jennifer Connelly is a great actress. So I, I think that that was a good choice. Let's talk about the Meg Ryan connections. I don't know if Scott knows this. So this is going to be a little surprise for him. Jim, do you want to tell us the Meg Ryan connection? Yeah. So uh, the Kamlik family moved to Bethel, Connecticut in the early 80s. And uh, Bethel, Connecticut is, um, I guess, Danbury, Connecticut's little brother. And it's known for two things. The birthplace of P.T. Barnum. And it's where Meg Ryan is from. Now, she wasn't called Meg Ryan back in the day. She was called Margaret Donner. Is that right? Uh, It's uh, Peggy Hyra. Uh, Hyra, yeah. Peggy Hyra. But, yeah, so she's, uh, you know, the whole thing is you go to the Bethel uh, Library at school and you look up the yearbook. And was she graduated in, like, 80, 81? 79, I believe. Oh, did she ever come? Like, did she come back? Was there ever like a. Dennis went to the prom with her. No, that's not. (laughs) Get out of here. Get out of here. (laughs) Most likely to succeed. Yes, for the first time. I've never, I've never seen her come back, Scott. So I don't know. I don't live there anymore. Maybe she comes back on the weekend. Meg Ryan, I think Meg Ryan's an interesting, uh, uh, interesting Hollywood story. I think too. I mean, he's had an up and down career too, and yeah, and I, you know, I'm always sort of fascinated to see what what Hollywood will do with her next, or what she will choose to do next, because she was a, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest box office stars in the world in a certain moment, mid to late nineties. Yeah, she was. She was star. huge. All right, so we're going to get into Top Gun. I'm gonna, this, is, this is my little need for speed round, okay? So I'm going to just ask you guys a bunch of questions. We're going to have a little bit of – we're going to geek out on this movie a little bit. So I'm just going to jump in. So um, favorite scene. Nick, I'm going to start. What's your favorite scene from Top Gun? Maverick walking with Viper. He's asking what his options are. Viper tells him his old man Tom did it the Scarrett. right way. That's my favorite scene. Did you know that? Jim, what's yours? Um, I think when they take the hop, when, uh, when Viper is up there with them, that, that entire scene, Scott, I know that it may, may not be your favorite movies, which we've already discussed, but is there a favorite, you know, I loved, I loved all of the parts. First of all, I like anything that where the older character actors were involved because they were so scary James Tolkien, you know, like I, I love those guys. And, and so I like the, the back and forth that Tolkien as Stinger had with Maverick. Uh, he has a, 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 but also at the end that God oh, yeah, help us. Yeah. But my favorite, like the line I love so much is because, because it caught, I remember thinking about it when I first saw the movie, but I actually thought uh, like it, it sort of stuck out at me when, when I watched it again, that idea that like, you know, your, your ego is, is writing checks, your body can't cash that, uh, you know, that idea that, that you don't own that plane, like the taxpayers own that plane. And of course the 61 year old guy like me is like thinking, that's right. That's right. We made that. We own that plane. Right. Right. So I, that's where I went with it, but I love those. I love those moments. I love those scenes. I love those actors. Um, that was actually going to be, be my answer for my favorite line of dialogue was your ego is writing checks. Your body can't cash. I, I, that, I mean, you still hear that to this day. And I would say a close number two for me personally yeah. is negative ghost rider. The pattern is full because I, I, I find myself saying negative ghost rider more than I, <laughs> more than I probably should. You're going to be flying a, a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit to Hong Kong. <laughs> like, there's a lot in that movie. Like, there's a lot of one-liners. There's I think the of, uh, the simplicity of "Talk to Me, Goose" is probably my favorite. I like I like what it represents. I appreciate it more That's now right. after I've had more life in me 
But I mean, I, I, I use that. I use that to myself all the time. Talk to me, Goose. Talk you to say, me, Goose. Do you say that like when you're sitting in traffic or I'll going say to- it. I'll say it all over. I just I just like what it represents. It's like it, it's just taking a beat in life and refocusing and, you know, just looking for, you know, looking from help from on high. It's just it's just a cool line. Would you guys buzz the tower knowing the consequences? Absolutely not. You would not buzz the tower. I don't, I'm not a rule breaker. I would love to say that, yes, I would, but I also don't know the full impact of what those consequences would be. <laughs> Maverick did it, and all it was was a guy who was smoking a cigar yell at him. But I think it's a little worse than that, you know. I, I would like to think, yeah, hell yeah, I would, you know. And I I am also not a rule breaker. And, <laughs> and, and you know, the taxpayers own that plane. <laughs> we, we've been all through this. Um, you just referenced the rubber dog shit, which I was going to ask about. What is rubber dog shit? Is that like, <laughs> like something that you would use for like Halloween pranks, or is it a novelty? It's like those novelties they used to sell. It's gotta be. It's gotta really? Be. That's exactly what it is, I believe. I mean, I don't know, but I think so. Yeah, the idea is it's a trivial thing. It's got to be a Halloween prop at best. Prank, prank. Yeah, it's interesting. Who was the better pilot, Ma- Maverick or Iceman? Well. I mean, who who got his name on the plaque? But uh, yeah, who did it in the real? Who did it in the real? Uh, who would who would you want up there? Uh, you know, if it was it was you know it came down to it. Do you want Maverick flying up there? Do you want Iceman flying up there? Come on, let's go. Everybody say something. You know, Maverick's the guy that uh, shoots him down, and uh, he makes it happen. Whereas you know, Iceman's the guy that creates the jet wash that kills Goose. So, <laughs> what do you really from, think, Nick? You don't want that. You don't want the jet wash killing goose. You want the guy out there well, shooting down. I, I want to reserve judgment until <laughs> I see the sequel. But I think based on just the first movie, I would say Iceman because I mean, not to quote Iceman, but Maverick's dangerous. He's not a he, he's a rule breaker. He, he's he is just he is all over the place. He just is. I'd he's a great guy. Interesting. It's good ball uh, ball I can't. Pick, I, I can't pick Viper. Right. <laughs> You're going Tom Skerritt, Scott. <laughs> I'm a big Tom. Really I'm a big Scarrett fan. I have always, I've always loved all of his work. Actually, he's great. I got to market one a movie or, or two with him when he was in, at the at the downside of his career and making films for TNT. So the line slider, you stink. Is there is there any like better like one liner that you can throw at somebody than that? Like that's that's got to be high on the list, right? Like when you just want to put somebody down like that. I mean, that's Nick. What do you think? That's up there. Of all the insults you throw somebody, you throw that, he's he's hitting you with the business and you hit him with you stink. And then you walk away like in full confidence, you're the winner. There's I mean, come on. I mean, you're the winner. That's pretty good. Rosovich, Rosovich, talented guy too. Like uh, I like that guy like uh, as an action guy. I would say that when good. I when I Little watched slider. the film, when I watched the film uh this past weekend, I did Rosovich is the person I I did research on afterward because I was like, what happened to this guy? Because I thought he was very charismatic in the film too, and I and I've always liked his work. He's yeah. great in he, he's great in Roxanne. He's great, like yeah. a really wonderful actor. He's great on the arm. Yeah, exactly. He's he's great, yes. and so I was. The movie made me excited to like to to figure out what happened to a lot of those people because there were a lot of good move, uh, people in, in the film. Um, who cried during when Goose died? Nick, did you cry? Of course I cried. I was six years old. So fault me if you will. Uh, of course I cried and I cried a lot. And then every time we watched the VHS <laughs> subsequent viewings, I cried those times too. And 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 that for for years I said, hey, that's the only movie it's you're allowed to cry because because you should. And then people said like, oh yeah, but didn't you ever see uh, 
uh, Brian song, and then you ever see, uh, okay, fine, there's other ones, sure, there's other ones, but like obviously when Goose died, that was a big, that was a big problem. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Goose didn't quite make it. But yeah, yeah, I, of course I cried. Um, I don't think yeah. I cried. And I mean, I, I think that I am a much bigger crier with entertainment type stuff like that as I've gotten older. And maybe it's because of, you know, becoming a parent or whatever my reasons. But I don't I don't remember crying um, when Goose died right. back in the 80s for the first time. I think I would have had a, a, a better chance of crying when Mickey died in uh in rocky three then with goose but let's when i don't want to get into my top 10 cinematic cries i cry in movies very easily especially if i watch them on planes which evidently is a thing that supposedly your emotions are higher when you're watching movies on planes so i will weep copiously no matter what i'm watching but um but i tend to more uh, in a movie theater experience i tend to cry at like moments of elation like if i cried at a moment in in top gun it would have been when something extraordinary like when he when, you know, he decided he's going to go teach at Top Gun. And you like, like that, that elation, that will bring me to tears sometimes. Che- you know, like just tears of joy. I just I like that. I love that. I like that. Rarely that I'll die uh, crying. Wait, I want to, I want to, I guess it's a, probably a conversation for another day, but I want to talk about this air, this airplane thing. This, this, you're more emotion, emotional when you fly. I will say, speaking of tears, um, I remember, I remember this specifically. I was flying to LA. This was what, 2012. And I, I downloaded the movie Cedar Rapids with John C. Riley. I'm not sure if anybody has ever seen this movie, which was a small indie comedy. I, I, there was a scene in that movie where I was laughing so hard that I, I literally had tears rolling down my cheeks and, and I couldn't get out of it. Like I was in the wow. jet wash. I was like, I, I was in the spin and I couldn't get out of the spin. And I kept like playing it back and on, on the iPad and I kept watching it again. And I just could not stop laughing. People were actually looking at me. I was laughing so hard and there was, I mean, the whole movie is great, but there's a scene particularly with John C. Riley that I found so damn funny. I could actually watch it tonight later and I should. My story is uh, I cry all the time on, a, on planes when I watch something, but I was watching, I was on a series of, of flights. I was going to New York and then LA and I was in a, and, and Delta in flight had the entirety of Ken Burns, the Vietnam war which Uh-oh. is the greatest documentary series Uh-oh. of all time. I think it is extraordinary. It is just absolutely yeah. worth watching. Yeah. And I was in, watching the final, we the yeah. final episode of the final scene and we were landing and I was sobbing. I was just sobbing because of these people you've taken this journey with and everything. And the plane stops and everybody's getting out and I am like heaving, sobbing as watching the, and it hadn't ended yet. So it was still watching. And literally like I look up after we had come, the, the plane was empty. The, the, the flight crew was standing there going, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, mm. and, the, and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just watching something and it was really sad. And they're like, what? Ken Burns, the Vietnam war. There was a, there was a template that Top Gun had and it was, it was cause it was a, pr- a production from Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. And I have not done a good job in this podcast of even talking about those guys and referencing them because they, they sort of set the bar for, for eighties uh, filmmaking for quite some time and, and well into the nineties. I mean, just listening to some of the movies they've done, Beverly Hills cop, Top Gun, days of thunder, crimson tide, bad boys, the rock again, well, well into the nineties. But one of the big things that they always had was a hit soundtrack. 
Um, and, and that wasn't one of the only things that they did, but certainly that was one of the marks of a, of a Simpson Bruckheimer film. Um, this soundtrack was a big deal. As I said, to you guys earlier, um, stand by me came out that same summer. And I, f- I felt like that was, that was the, the soundtrack of my summer with these two film soundtracks. It was top gun. I definitely rode into the danger zone, Nick, yeah. and it was the soundtrack for stand by me. Did you know that the band Toto was originally set to record Danger Zone. Wow. And they opt- and they opted out due to what? legal reasons. Get the hell out of here with Toto. What the hell did Toto have uh, going on? They couldn't do, do much, Top that Gun. Much research. I didn't dig that deep on it, but you can you can look into that later if you want to. But can you believe that though? When we talk about, you know, tying this back to having a huge influence on pop culture, I mean, when you have every radio station cuz back then radio stations were driving the pop culture conversation in a lot of cases, certainly over a summer, people going to the beach and stuff like that, and they were promoting this film all the time. This is the one Oscar that this movie won, which is for, you know, and not for and not for Danger Zone for taking my breath away. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, a, a hit soundtrack. It was always part of Flashdance, another Bruckheimer, you know, uh, production. Also, they knew that if you have if you engineer a top, you know, the, the what back then the number one selling album with three or four number one singles, you you're in the cultural conversation for weeks. I remember there was a, a there was a show on Friday night, Jim. It was called Friday Night Videos. I'm sure you remember this. I'm sure we oh, all. Yeah. Nick probably doesn't remember this, but Nick, this was like back when like MTV was still sort of a thing. But like they played videos on NBC at like 12:30 at night. It was called Friday Night Videos, and I remember when the video dropped for for Danger Zone. Again, this is this was at a time there was no internet, so you couldn't see movie clips. Like the only way you could actually see a clip from the movie was like watching the videos like i remember like i would yeah. i recorded the danger zone video just so i could actually see little snippets of top gun <laughs> so like this was but, all right so joking aside this was a time in the 80s where if you wanted a hit soundtrack you called one guy and it was ken and it was kenny loggins and like why wh- what was it about kenny loggins that like th- that guy was like money when it came to soundtracks I mean, a, a great pop culture voice who great pop culture sensibilities, footloose, all that stuff. You know, it was it was, you know, Kenny Loggins was absolutely I mean, Lionel Richie was that later, uh, you know, a little bit later. Um, but but there was always somebody who, you know, was money. How much of that was like luck of the f- film he was attached to and how much of that was him? making the movie he was attached to like that. Well, that, but listen, that is a very interesting question. Because I, I, it, was it more about the movie or was it about the song, right? Because, I mean, Kenny Loggins was obviously at the time a well-regarded musician. But, I mean, he did two hit songs that I can think of yeah. off the top of my head. One was from Caddyshack. It was I'm All Right from Caddyshack, which is like synonymous with Caddyshack, in my opinion. And then he did Danger Zone, which was not Toto, which was synonymous with Top Gun, like these are these are great songs to cut to. Like you can cut anything to this, not just the sequence yes. in the film, any trailer, any upfront tape, any whatever. I mean, you just use these. They're they're great. They're perfect for montages. They're perfect for those those sequences. What what editor can't just throw something good together to any one of those Kenny Loggins songs? You want to talk You're not going to bring up Eddie Van Halen. What are you doing over there? <laughs> who's who's running this show? Who, who's who, who's steering? What this is show? it? What are we? Well, why are we bringing the them guitar up? during the Top Gun anthem? That, by the way, might be the greatest anthem ever played in a movie. I thought that was Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> was that was that Eddie? Well, wait yeah, a second. Are the you, guitar I, I don't know this. Harold are you Faltermeyer. saying that that was Eddie Van Halen on the guitar for that? 
Can you prove that? Well, it was Eddie Van Halen, pal. I want that. I want proof of that before I we wrap up that. the recording. We're going to air, and the general public's going to hear, and it was freaking Edward Van Halen shredding Nick, on the guitar. Nick, I, I got to tell you something, Nick. I'm 51 years old. I have never was. heard this ever. Now, I, I, will give you, I will give you Thriller. Get the hell out of Because I know he played this. the guitar on Thriller or beat it. It was beat it. It was beat it. I don't know. Top Gun Anthem is an instrumental rock composition and a theme for the 86 film Top Gun. Harold Faltermeyer wrote the music with Steve Stiv- Steve Stevens playing guitar on the recording. No, no, no Van Halen? I, I, listen, you just, now I'm reading on the rest of this thing, but I don't see Mr. Van Halen's name on this Google Van Halen Top Gun. What's the better anthem? Is it the Top Gun anthem or the Axel F theme from Beverly Hills Cop, both by Harold Faltermeyer? Which one's better? Well, I mean, I'm loyal to Top Gun, but I do love the, I do love the. I gotta go, I gotta go Axel F. I think Axel F was like the shit. So listen, before before we wrap up, you know, we're, we're celebrating tough. this film, but there's I have a couple beefs with Top Gun. So we're, we're going to get into this yeah. right now. I'm not sure if you guys have any beefs, but I've got a couple beefs. One is this. Um, Maverick finally does the right thing at the end. He shows up to the graduation after he has this big talk with with Viper, Tom Skerritt. You know, they're at the uh, they're at the ceremony. These guys are standing around the pool and they're whites eating coconut shrimp and. All of a sudden, there's a, there's a there's a crisis situation, and you know they all need to go to the Indian Ocean like right away. It just all felt very you know very convenient, very abrupt. Um, I know the movie needed a final act, but don't you feel like it was, they could have done a better job of maybe like weaving in some sort of like international tension throughout the film? It just sort of feels like they just dropped it on us. I mean, first response: How dare you? Yeah. Um, second or second response: I mean, first of all, ridiculous take. By the way. Second of all, uh, yeah, okay. Well, maybe maybe crises happen at inconvenient moments, pal. Did you think about that? I think the screenwriters needed something to end the movie with, and they that's when they decided, you know, we need a crisis situation where you're just going to have well, it right here. They needed they needed some time where they, everybody could redeem themselves, and there was a re, there were real stakes. So beginning it, it, of the movie, Russian MIGs, and we're doing inverted, right? We're inverted, we're we're fighting Russian MIGs. You end the movie. What is he doing? Indian Ocean. Hey, Russian Migs, we're okay. coming after you. We're knocking you right out of the sky. All right. Let's go. What do you got? Slap, I've got a, I got a similar question, but different note. So first off, I, I haven't seen the movie yet. I haven't seen the sequel. I haven't read a script. I didn't know about this Admiral's <laughs> Daughter thing, which I reserve judgment because it just seems stupid to me. But leaving that alone for a minute, how old was Goose's son in 1986? He looked like four or five. He looked like he was like four or five, yeah. Great balls of fire. Right, let's, go with, let's go with five. So let's go with five. Yep. So five plus 36 years later puts him at what? 41? So I'm saying this. I'm saying a 41-year-old is too old sure. to be in Top Gun. Here's here's the theory. You ready for this? Nick Maloney, saying. you sitting down? Meg Ryan was pregnant Holy in the first movie. And Goose get didn't the know hell it. Out of here. It's the second, it's the second son that's You're in saying this to movie. me Rooster's boy number two? And, I'm saying Rooster is boy number two, and that he was Goose didn't know, she didn't know she was pregnant, and boom, she has this kid, and it's not his firstborn, it's the secondborn who we never even got to meet. And then, and then they buy themselves five years. That puts the kid in his 30s and not in his 40s. Boom. What do you think about that? Wow. Just think about that tonight when you close Nick Malone's eyes. I, and well, I can't, it's unavoidable. That's all I do now. That's, that's it. That's amazing. 
Um, I, so, I want to wrap this up you heard it here uh, real quickly, Nick, 30 seconds, like the Maverick thing with your son, was there like, talk about the conversation that was had in the household. Like was, was, was there one, like was Heather right on board with that? Or was that, that require a lot of, a lot of pleading on your part? What, what happened there? Well, I'm, I'm known to be a persuasive gentleman. Um, like when I, when I <laughs> suggest a thing, it, it tends to, it tends to people listen, you know? Uh, but yeah, so when, when we were talking about it, you know, we were in Westchester, New York at the time, and the families in Westchester tend to name their kids really pretentious ass, bullshit ass names. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Thurston's and Hudson's and Colgate's and Scott with one T's and all these types of things. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so when we were going into it, like, and, and I went the pretentious route with the daughters, I went Vivian and I went uh, Sienna and oh, we played, oh, it's great. And when we got to the boy, I was like, the boy's got to have his name where if the guy's saying it in the loudspeaker to a crowd of people, they hear that name and like, hell yeah, that kid's walking in or it's a marquee and that put that name in lights and you're like, no, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. And so I said it. At, I said it out to just kind of test of the waters when it was time. And I said, "Well, what about uh, Maverick Malone?" And I expected her to just like, "Oh no, I wanted, I wanted, uh, you know, Wentworth or whatever the hell she wanted." You know, and and, and so I, I, I threw out Maverick, and she was like, "Oh, I like that name." And I said, "Well, this conversation's done. Um, you may as well have written that in blood, and and that's that, and that is written, and that is done. It's Maverick. If you like that, we're not, we're not looking, we're not shopping around, right?" And there was some talk about what about the relatives? What about the relatives? It's like, well, what about the relatives, right? Because we like Maverick, right? Maverick, as far as, as, far as I was concerned, does he, that was it. Does he go by Maverick or Mav or what? Well, he's one, so he goes by what we call him. Um, I, you know, we call him, we call him, uh, we call him Mavi, you know. Uh, but yeah, he's Maverick, man. When that, when he walks in the room, I want him to be Maverick. I want him to like walk in the room and like, yeah, he's <laughs> he's that guy. Getting back to where we started, I hope there's a Maverick movie poster going to be hanging above his bed that maybe you can get Scott to sign for him. Nick, my I have a good friend and former colleague who works at Paramount. I will I I will promise you I will reach out to her on your behalf and I will tell her about this this podcast. I will also ask her very nicely if I can get a poster of Top Gun Maverick sent to you for for your son's bedroom. So consider that a, a my proposition. I will deliver against that. A Paramount poster from. I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind. Guys, <laughs> listen, thank you for your time. Um, if you have any other final thoughts on Top Gun, now now would be the time. But I did I did want to say thank you for your – we're going on an hour 40 now. But, again, Jim, thanks for suggesting this. Um, for all the listeners, I'm sorry that I've been gone for six months. I, I hope this is the catalyst for me to come back and start doing some more episodes. And maybe it will be, but I'll try not to let too much time go by next time. But uh, thank you for listening as always, Scott. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for including me. Of course, my my brain is firing on on other topics I want to talk to you about. So we're we're gonna we're gonna talk offline, and maybe I'll have you back in a in a future episode. Nick, you're you're unbelievable, and um, Jim, you're my brother. I love you. I've seen probably seventy five percent of all the movies <laughs> in my life with you, and uh, and I and I wish that I could see Top Gun Maverick with you this weekend. Are you seeing yeah. it this weekend? Have you bought your tickets? Um, no, I, I'm taking my, I'm taking my team to see it. Um, but we won't, we won't see it until the week after slap. The one thing I cannot believe did not come up. It just jumped into my, my frontal lobe is that you and I have been to a world premiere with Mr. Tom Cruise. You just threw that out there. So finish the story. Yeah, we, we went down and saw at the air and space museum, downtown Washington, DC. We saw the, 
I guess was was it was it the the most recent Mission Impossible or was it two ago? Yeah, that would have been 2018. I want to say that's the one with Superman, right? Wow. Yeah. So that was uh, that was uh, it was a cool night, and it was the most uncomfortable right. movie cruise was there. theater scene I've ever sat in for what three and a half hours. Because it was an old school seat. It was it was it was old old school seats. Yeah, I think you're supposed to watch a, a 30 minute uh, you know I picked something IMAX thing. You're not supposed to sit and watch a three hour movie in it at, at all. But they had yeah, the entire cast was there and crew spoke and I'll send you some pictures. But they had the red carpet, the whole thing. It was pretty neat. Guys, thank you everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm sorry I apologize in advance for this episode, but I hope you enjoyed it and uh, this was a blast. And uh, we'll be back at some point soon enough. Okay, thanks for listening. All right, see you guys.